Hey guys, this is Joe Wolverton, teacher of Liberty, back with you today. And today we are going to talk, I'm just going to go right into it, because guess what? If you haven't shared the video and haven't uh, subscribed and done all the things and tried to get us, get these ideas disseminated, I think by now you've decided you're not fixing to do it. And that's perfectly okay, because nobody believes in individual liberty more than your boy. So, um... Let's talk about something today that needs to be talked about today. And that is, and if you know me, you know, you're like, why hasn't my man talked about Trenchard and Gordon yet? You know, if there was anyone that could even approach Algernon Sidney in Joey's pantheon of heroes, it would be John Trenchard and Thomas Gordon. Now, we don't know a lot about these guys. I could go through their biography. It's very scant, but the bottom line, who cares, right? Most people have not heard of them, and that is bizarre to me. The fact that you can go and you can ask professors of American history who John Trenchard and Thomas Gordon are, and they would be like, I have no idea. They have fallen so far out of our collective consciousness as a society that there is, a, I mean, I think I'd be willing to walk around with a case full of, you know, money, a million dollars, and give it to the first person who can tell me the pseudonym that Trenchard and Gordon used when they wrote their influential letters. And in reality, they used two pseudonyms, but the other one is even less. So they wrote, wrote under the name Cato. It is the Cato, Cato's letters. They just signed it Cato. Now they wrote, earlier than that, they wrote a series of letters under the name Independent Whig, which even people that know Cato's letters often don't know Independent Whig. I would, I'm going to tell you what, you read the, I think it's the introduction that Thomas Gordon, nope, John Trenchard wrote to Independent Whig, and you, your view of, of education will be so different, and it will illuminate to you why people don't tend to believe things if they're taught later than something else. I know I've said the Thucydides thing in here many times. I'm not fixing to go through that again. But if you read the introduction to Independent Whig and you're like, well, that makes total sense. People are defensive of their education. They want to think, well, I know as much as this guy. I'm as well educated as this guy. And you might be about some things. I'm, I'm just a stay-in-your-lane kind of guy. Now, I will give you that in the lane of the founding, in the lane of the Constitution, in the lane of, of those things that inspired our founding fathers, the things, the, the books and authors from which they learned, I pretty much, I can, I can go flat out pedal to the metal in that lane. And I'm never worried about, you know, someone coming up with something I don't know. It's actually often 
cringe when people do because they'll say things and they'll say, did you know so-and-so was the most influential person on the Founding Fathers? And I'll be like, oh, is that so? I just won't even argue. I'm just like, okay. Why would you argue? Because they're, they're not going to believe you. All right. So today I'm going to stay in my lane. Like the whole podcast I'm going to stay in. I ain't going to get on here someday and be like, calculus. <laughs> Am I right? No, that's never going to happen. So... I recommend that when this podcast is over, you go and you get yourself some Trenchard and Gordon. Now, this is the hard copy. It comes in two. It's there are four volumes originally, but they come in two volumes from Liberty Fund. These are they. they I, mine didn't come with dust jackets. I don't think they do come with dust jackets, but. They're nice. They're, I think they're, I don't know, they're probably 30 bucks for the two hardback. You can get the two paperback. I think it's like 17 worth every penny. Okay? Worth every penny. Now, they wrote under the name uh, Cato. Now, Cato was a Roman hero, uh, champion of, of liberty and Republican virtue. Cato the Younger, okay? Uh, Trenchard and Gordon, they wrote about 138 of these letters. And there ended up being 144, but those last six or so were written only by Thomas Gordon, and they take kind of a weird turn. Not, not like crazy, but that you can tell it's like, doesn't have the same feeling as the other 138 letters, right? Um, they go... Oh, so much. I'm telling you, this is what I used to tell kids when they first got introduced to Trenchard and Gordon and Cato's letters. You don't, don't read them from first to last. I mean, you can. But what I would do and what I have done, now the first time I read them, I read them in order. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to be honest with you. But something you can do that I would suggest is just look in the table of contents. Just look for something that you are interested in. Freedom of the press, political parties, uh, what does it mean to be a hero, um, how, do, how should we get rid of tyrants, how to spot a tyrant. I mean, it, it's everything that you could imagine that's pertinent today, you can read in Cato's letters. Now, I'm going to give you the language is early 18th century, so you might need a dictionary, you might need to, you know marinated in a little while for it to make as much sense as it ought to but guys pound for pound you're not going to get anything better to read than Cato's letter I'm not you just aren't yes discourses concerning government is better in fact they devote a whole letter Trenchard and Gordon one of their letters they just say do you know what we're just going to copy Algernon Sidney from Discourses Concerning Government, and they do. They literally say Colonel Sidney is the best source for this, so we're just going to copy a whole section of Discourses, and they do. Because they were writing in the 1720s, and of course, uh, Colonel Sidney was murdered in 1683. So, they get together. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about their background, just so maybe you, I don't know, it's just some weird, people like hearing weird stuff, you know what I mean? People like to know that something, I don't want to say, well, they just like to know oddities. We all do, right? So, John Trenchard 
Well, he wrote first, and and then he took. Now, by some accounts, he took Thomas Gordon on as like a secretary, just someone who would write down his stuff for him. But at some point, he became his writing partner, and they would switch off, or they would write according to their um, according to their particular skill or particular zeal for that subject that they were writing about that week. Now. John Trenchard was 32 years older than Thomas Gordon. Uh, John Trenchard died young of a kidney disease. On his deathbed, he was there with his wife and with Thomas Gordon. And he made Thomas Gordon promise to marry his wife so that she would be taken care of because he had, they had lived such, he and Thomas Gordon, their writing, lived so anonymously, uh, so as they didn't really profit. Now, Thomas Gordon ended up profiting a little bit, but not as much as you would have thought, right? You've got real rubbishy writers in the world today that make way more money than Trenchard and Gordon ever made off anything they wrote. And so that's a little, can you imagine you're sitting on your deathbed and got your best friend and your wife and you're like, I need you to marry my wife. I don't know who would be weirded, more weirded out at that moment, the wife or the best friend. You're like, excuse me, you want me to do what now? Marry my wife. Dude, that's, come on, let's just not talk about that. Maybe, you know, maybe we date, see if there's anything in cotton. No, I'm just, you would, you would be freaked out, right? You would be like, I, okay. I mean, you probably say, okay, just be like, you like, you know, to the wife, yeah, just tell him, yeah, sure. Okay, honey, we'll, we'll get married, you know, that kind of thing. Just to send him off into the next life happy, you know, that kind of thing. So, eventually Thomas Gordon took over, right? Now, I do this thing. I used to do this thing on TikTok. Back when I was on TikTok, I did this thing where I would do um, what Trenchard and Gordon wrote 300 years today that's, that is particularly applicable to our day. You go back on TikTok and look at that. I think the name on TikTok now is Joe Riverton JD maybe or Joe Riverton 2. I don't One of those two things. Joe Riverton JD or Joe Riverton 2, the number 2. I think it's JD on TikTok. And you go and you can see some of those videos where I was like, 300 years ago today, because they wrote in 1722, and I would, you know, say that in 1722, on whatever date, here, and it would always be something relevant, always be something relevant, so you know that you can do that, now, I, I mean, I could do that now, but it wouldn't be exactly 300 years, do you want to do it just for a bit of fun, you want to do it, all right, let's do it. What is today? August 10th? Is today August 10th? So sometimes it won't be match up exactly, right? Oh man, they don't have the dates on here. I didn't know they didn't have the dates in here, y'all. I thought they did. I mean, they do if you go into the individual letter. Let's see, that's December, April, July. Hey, we're getting close. It's July. Is this fun for y'all? Or y'all like, what is this kid doing? Uh, well, we're not going to get August 10th, we will get, uh, we can get August 5th or August 19th, they, 
they skipped one. Well, here's August 5th. The title of it is Considerations on the Restless and Selfish Spirit of Man. Guys, okay, I'm just going to, let's just jump in and see how what it says. It is melancholy to consider how everything in the world is abused. The reason is that men having themselves chiefly in view consider all things with an eye to themselves only. And thus it is that general blessings cease to be so by being converted into private property, as is always done where it is safe or possible to be done. Now, don't get it twisted. He wasn't meaning private property as in literally private. He meant you take something that could be a blessing for everyone, but you just want it for you. That's... Guys, we could stop the podcast right there and y'all will have got enough to marinate on until Tuesday. That's that's a big deal. Men typically, so typically, act for themselves. That even something that could be a blessing to everyone, they just keep it to themselves. I, I mean, even right now I'm thinking, you know, I didn't plan on doing that in the podcast. I have my little outline here. Well, yeah, outline. No Twitter, you want to call them. But I wasn't planning on doing that. But now having done that, I feel convicted, right? I feel, I'll need to remember that and write that down in my commonplace book. Of course, I've read it before, but sometimes you read things at the right time. Do you know what I'm saying? And I don't think there's a wrong time to read Trenchard and Gordon. So, now, they are classics in Republican political philosophy, although they would have said, well, we don't call ourselves Republicans. Now, with a small R, y'all, meaning the people rule through representatives. They're not talking about capital R Republicans, so don't like, please don't get that twisted. I hope y'all by now know that. But if someone were to ever be like, Trenchard and Gordon said the Republicans should, dude, Republicans with a small R, meaning people that believe in the people ruling themselves, you know, according to laws that they themselves consent to. I need a beverage. It's brought to you this week by Mount Vernon, King George versus George Washington. You know, George Washington is my third cousin. I mean, a thousand times, you know, ten times removed, ten generations, something like that, but, or eight generations, but my third cousin, he's a pretty cool guy. He is absolutely the indispensable man. Anywho, back to TNG. So, they would say they want Republicans, but they do it sort of tongue-in-cheek. They say, well, I mean, I guess if you're accusing us of being Republicans and Republicans are virtuous and what, you know, they're just basically being sarcastic about it because they don't like any label being put on what they write. They say they're simply trying to promote virtue in the citizens and knowledge so that people can maintain their liberty. That's, if you read the preface written by Thomas Gordon, that's what he says. He's like, I'm just trying to shed some virtue and some liberty on the people, you know? And that's always a good thing, because there is no liberty without virtue, as the bracelet says. There is no, that's what someone has, uh, I don't know, maybe I've mentioned that before. I have these bracelets that I sell. There is no liberty without virtue. Anywho. So, Americans loved, they were more often read, more often reprinted, and more often 
in founding libraries than John Locke. Now, if you ask the person on the street, have you heard of John Locke? Some of them are going to say, oh, yeah, I think I've heard of him. Right? Cato's letters, more influential on the pre, what they call pre-revolution. Y'all know I don't call revolution, but people do. The pre-revolution, they were, they were reprinted, these Cato's letters, in every newspaper from Savannah to Boston. Every one. They were reprinted. They were the most often quoted by the pre-revolutionary generation. I wanted to read a few of these, just a few of these statements made across the years by historians, just to kind of show you the influence, and you're like, why, I mean, you'll see with the content why you were never taught, why we, I say you, I was never taught them either. You'll see with the content that it's, they, that they are, man, if you need to get fired up in the morning, after you read a little bit of the, you know, the good word, get some of the good word in you, because you need that, right? You need to get reoriented every morning, get some of the good word in you, get some Colonel Sidney in you, get you some Trenchard and Gordon. Just open it up like I did and just pick whatever date is close to the date, and you're going to find something like we just did about, don't be selfish. All right, so here are some things by historians written across the, the uh, centuries since they published about the effect, the influence that Trenchard and Gordon, John Trenchard, Thomas Gordon, writing as Cato in Cato's letters, published in London, the early 1720s. Here is what some historians said about that. John Trenchard and Thomas Gordon, this is Gary Nash, for those of you scoring at home, Gary Nash. John Trenchard and Thomas Gordon were the most important disseminators, meaning spreaders, of ideas to Americans in the pre-revolutionary generation. Forrest McDonald, Cato's Letters was the most quoted book in all the Americans' pre-revolutionary writings. Clinton Rossiter, I mean, you can't get more mainstream historian than Clinton Rossiter. No one can spend any time in the newspapers, library inventories, and pamphlets of colonial America without realizing that Cato's letters, rather than John Locke's civil government, was the most popular, quotable, esteemed source of political ideas in the colonial period. Period. <laughs> That's it. There was no one, even more, more than John Locke, but people don't know that. I'm telling you, that you read some of these Cato's letters, you're like, did they just boost that whole thing for the Declaration of Independence? And did they just boost that whole thing for the Bill of I mean, it was very influential. You find, Benjamin Franklin, okay, guys. Benjamin Franklin said that when it comes, so he, you know, he put out that document. I don't know if y'all have ever read it, but his ideas for educating for educating youth, Benjamin Franklin. I, I forgot what it's called exactly, but it's about educating the youth. And he says to teach them uh, grammar, to teach them how to write, have them read Cato's letters and rewrite them, just just copy them to learn good grammar, learn how writing should flow. Benjamin Franklin said. Can you imagine? What do we do now? I mean, I don't know what kids do now to learn how to write. I guess they're, they're like, 
<laughs> how many guns does daddy have just so they can find out and put you on some list you know my daddy you know spelled with like five d's has two guns you know spelled with a z i don't know my point is can you imagine living in an, in an america where you know you're in third grade or whatever and they're teaching you to write you know little little essays little compositions and rather than having you write rubbish or copy you know copy down ridiculous sentences that mean nothing they're like here here's letter number 13 copy this down so that when you're like eight nine ten years old that's the stuff going in your head instead of dick has a friend named jane jane has a dog named spot you know what i'm saying that that's real if you went to school, if you were in the colonial, like if you were Madison's generation, Madison, Washington, Jefferson, and you had parents that were wealthy enough for you to be to have a tutor at all, whether it was you and a bunch of families together like Madison or you by yourself like Jefferson, if you were, if that tutor came to teach you and you were like 11 typically when that happened, you would be, until 11 years old, you were taught exclusively at home, everybody. Every one of the founding fathers. I mean, there was no concept of sending this kid out to school. That did not exist. It wouldn't exist. That would have blown, you know, early American mothers, if you just said, hey, we're going to take your kids and we're going to let some strangers teach them. And she'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that. But if you'd gone to, you know, your tutor, your little class at 11, and not known if the teacher said I want y'all to copy down letter 13 of Cato's letters and now you might not have a copy right I mean do you know James Madison's mom okay they weren't rich right the Madison's had ton of land yes go there today you'd be like not rich right they had a lot of land but not a lot of, not a lot of lolly you know what I mean cold odd cash and um bed knobs and broomsticks for anyone scoring at home um so james madison's dad would take you know whatever ready money he had when he would go down to the dock to send off the stuff he was selling in england and then the boats would come back of course he would say when you come back from England, will you bring me a copy of cato's letters he would bring the individual letters home and nelly madison james madison's mother would sew them together so that James, little Jimmy, you know, at nine years old, had Cato's letters sewn together by his mom. Guys, come on. You know what I'm saying? We got to take it up a notch. Because I don't know. I can't imagine. No, actually, I can. Because I know some kids who are having or have had recently had kids... And I have faith that those kids are going to teach their new little babies when they're old enough these principles. And it won't be long, 18 years or so, until those kids are ready to bear testimony of their love of liberty, to bear witness that they were taught correctly to love liberty, to loathe tyranny, and to know the difference. 
So I do, I do know what that's like, or someday soon most of y'all will know what that's like. So as you read these, you will find yourself so inspired. You will find yourself, you're like, no wonder our founding fathers were the men they were. Look what they read. This is going to be another Sydney moment for y'all. Please, oh my goodness, after this. I hope I'm communicating through that little glass, piece of glass, and through this microphone. I hope y'all are understanding my passion because there is very little that you could read outside of the good word and outside of discourses by Sydney that you could read that will align your idea of liberty with the Founding Fathers than Cato's letters. All right. Um, yeah, jo Thomas Gordon, he said, all I'm trying to do is impart impartial lessons of liberty and virtue. I want to get the quote quotation for you there. All right. Um, man, I, I, I don't even know which one to start with. It's like, I'm going to, let's see. I'm going to start with number three. This is how, you, how we deal with tyrants and... and this is just going to set the tone, okay? Letter number three, published November 19th, 1720, okay? This is going to set the tone. Letter number three. So we're, you know, they're barely out of the blocks, right? Listen to this. Tyrants are monsters and serve the people the way Satan served Job. And the devil is insulted when you compare him to them. The devil is insulted if you compare tyrants to him. He's like, come on now, I'm not, I'm not that bad. Come on now. Monsters they are. But what should we do with them? Now, guys, this is, I'm reading this. Go fact check me. Letter number three. Monsters they are, but what would you have us do with them? The answer is short and at hand, hang them. For whatever they deserve, I would have no new tortures invented, nor any new death devised. In this, I think we should show moderation and just hang them, but hang them speedily. As to their wealth, as it is manifest the plunder of the people, let it be restored to the people. And let the public be their heirs. That's the only method by which the public is ever likely to get money back from a tyrant. I mean, we could be finished. We got the random letter. We got letter number three. We could be finished. You know what I'm saying? We could be finished. That's for sure. I want to read you letter number 19 on elections. Y'all, do you even do you even love it yet? Letter number nineteen. Indeed, in countries where liberty is established and people think for themselves, all the above arts and pretenses talking about thinking that. Oh yeah, I should say that first. So the the first part is about how, for some reason, people come to believe well everything that's going wrong in the country is that guy's fault, and if we get rid of that guy and get a new guy in there, things will get better. Or Everything is that party's fault, and if we get this other party in charge, everything will get better, but nothing ever gets better, he says, because thieves don't punish other thieves, right? 
And so then he says, indeed, in countries where liberty is established and people think for themselves, all the above arts and pretenses would be ridiculous and a farce to be laughed at. The people have sense enough to know that all this profusion and wealth are their own spoils, that they must labor and want so that these politicians can be idle and abound. And they will see that their poverty is increased and their misery aggravated and mocked by the pomp and luxury of their masters, no matter which party they come from. Tell me it's not true. I think you should be as wealthy as you can honestly and virtuously be, but I'm going to tell you, these politicians go into office middle class and come out wealthy and it's your money. It's my money. We have to work hard. We have to labor and want, meaning lack things, so that these politicians may be idle and have money. Our poverty is increased, our misery is aggravated and mocked by those politicians living lives of pomp and luxury on your money, and you can't pay the mortgage. This is the kind of thing that made our founding fathers who they were. This is not something they would stand for. They learned from these letters. See, this stuff to them wasn't just interesting. To us, maybe to some of you it's just interesting. Maybe some of you don't even care. You've already switched off. But for those of you that are still here, do you see? This is the way our founding fathers were taught. This is why they did what they did and we don't. In the intro to my Founder's Recipe book, which is up there somewhere, which is available on Amazon, it's not a commercial, but Founder's Recipe has selections from Trenchard and Gordon in there, and Sydney and lots, lots of other people. But in the introduction, I say what's happened is people often ask, why don't we have a generation anymore like the founding generation? Well, that's like asking, how come these cookies don't taste as good as these other cookies after we've substituted salt in the recipe for sugar. Well, they may look a little, they may look like cookies, right? You may have a book and a pencil and a piece of paper and a teacher, but the recipe's not the same. We're not, we're not reading these things as kids. We're not reading these things to our kids, except for those people that, you know, they have ears to hear and eyes to see and they're like, I feel called to prepare my child. You never know if it's your child, right? James Madison then didn't come with some sticker saying, future founding father, uh, make sure you teach him good stuff. No, any of those kids could be, you know. But look at that. I mean, you got letter number three. Well, what should we do with them? Short answer, hang them because you know they deserve it. Don't come up with new ideas of how to kill the tyrants. We've got ideas enough. Hang them. And if you want to be uh, moderate, then hang them quickly. And then make sure when they're dead that all their money goes back to the public from whom they stole it. Because they say that's the only way you're ever going to get money back from a tyrant. 
is if the people are the heirs to the tyrant who the people have executed for treason. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that sounds rough to some of y'all. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. How about we go to letter number six. Now, guys, I want you to get the picture. 1720 to 1723. These were letters to the editor, of, mostly to the London Journal. But the reason these are important to us is because our founding fathers quoted these guys all the time. And as children, they were taught these things. So that when they became adults, this stuff was firmly implanted. And it just so happened to be the right kind of recipe to create the right kind of young man who would do right by his fellow man. Think about that. If you want the same product, the same result, you gotta follow the same recipe. And no one of you out there can tell me that the education giving, given to kids today is at all like what our founding fathers experienced. So if we want another generation, it can be done. We just got to teach them the right stuff. Simple as that. That's why I made that Founders Recipe book. Is like, so parents that were just, or, or anybody that was just putting their hair, I don't know where to get this stuff. I don't know who these people are. There you go. Just do that. Because you know what? Again, I ain't fixing to get rich off that book either. It ain't going to number one Times New York Times bestseller. Though, trust me. It's not doing that. But it does stay, occasionally breaks into the top 500 of history, and so it goes on like 20% discount. But good for you, not for me. I, I mean, I would like to be transparent. I don't remember how much I get. I, $7 per book, and it costs like, right now, like 45 <laughs> Can you imagine? Anywho. Back to Trenchard and Gordon. They are in there. This is letter number six. Guys, marinate. So we got, what do we get? Letter number three. We get letter number 19. I'm going to go back to six. These things are supposed to convince you that it was no accident how our founding fathers behaved and that it can be done again. If we read what they read, we might do what they did. Nispa? Salah. All right. Letter number six. No experience or suffering can cure the world of its credulity. In other words, believing nonsense. We will still run into the old snares if they have but new names, and often whether they have them or not. Let's not call it the Alien and Sedition Act. Let's call it the Patriot Act. Oh, so if I'm a patriot, I support the Patriot Act. Well, of course. You know what? Instead of calling it gun control, let's call it the Safer Cities Act. Well, I want our cities to be safer. Yes, you do, citizen. Well, I'll support the Safer Cities Act. And then you're like, hey, how come they're confiscating my gun? Well, you wanted your city safe. How is it safe? Citizen, 
Come on now. Self-love, listen to this, guys. Just listen. Self-love beguiles men into false hope, and they will venture to incur a hundred probable evils to catch one possible good. I will take your guns because if there are no guns, your cities will be safe. Really? Maybe if you got rid of every gun on the earth, if you got rid of everybody's desire for violence, that one not even possible thing ridding the world of, of gun violence, but you're going to incur a hundred things that will almost certainly occur. Making the psychopaths have less courage. Because if they go into a school, guess what? They know nobody's armed. And it takes a lot less courage to assault unarmed people than armed people. You're telling me if everybody walked around open carrying, that there'd be pe there, there wouldn't be a little bit, a little bit decline in the in the uh, people just random acts of violence. If old boy was walking in there, he's like, "Dad, gum." All these people are carrying guns on their hip. He might think twice about putting that backpack down and getting out his own little. Come on now. But again, self-love. I can. I know. But and politicians, who loves themselves more than politicians love themselves? Nobody. We run frequently into distracting pains and expenses to gain advantages which are purely imaginary and utterly impossible. How did they get to be like they are? We're in Cato's letters, man. But you can't. See, this is the thing I don't get. You don't even have to buy it from Liberty Fund. You literally can dial this up on your Google machine for free. You can export it as a PDF. You can print it out if you wanted to. Ain't no one gonna say anything. It's you can have your I know kids that did when I was teaching school and there were kids like, hey, my family ain't fixing you know, we got ten kids, we're not fixing to afford seventeen dollars for Cato's letters. However, can I print this stuff off? Heck yeah, you can. Print it all off, player. And they did, and they had their own little copy of Cato's letters. Do you see that? I mean, look at that. Run frequently. Look, so nothing, he says, nothing's going to cure us of this ridiculous belief that we have that somehow th that the roadrunner's not going to drop that anvil on our head. Right? We're just wily coyote. We're like, look, this time is going to be different. And it never is. The anvil falls on our head. And next time a politician says, I want y'all to do that again, but this time I'm going to save you from the anvil. I don't know. I always do Clinton when I do president. I don't know why. And it never happens. We run into the same snares even if they just put a new name on it. And sometimes even if they don't. 
we run frequently into distracting pains and expenses to gain advantages that are purely imaginary and utterly impossible. Letter number 13. I'm just going to go through some of these because you've got to know already. If you're not fired up by this already, you probably shouldn't even listen to this podcast anymore because you, you're not the kind of person that is going to enjoy listening to this every twice a week or whatever. In this letter number 13, in surveying the state of the world, one is often at a great loss whether to ascribe the political misery of mankind to their own folly and credulity, there's that word again, believing nonsense, or to the knavery of their pretended managers, that is to say, politicians. Which, which is most guilty for our political misery? right now. The fact that we are foolish and believe nonsense or the fact that our politicians are for the most part tyrants and immoral people. Which is most to blame? He says, both these causes in all appearance concur to produce the same evil. Regardless of whether it's our foolishness and believing nonsense or the immorality and tyranny of our politicians. It leads us to the same thing. There must be, listen, oh my, oh goodness. I'm getting that place where I'm going to start getting the Holy Ghost, if y'all know what I mean, I'm going to start. Oh my goodness. There must certainly be a vast fund of stupidity in human nature or else men would not be caught as they are a thousand times over by the same snare. And while yet remembering the past misfortune, you, they go on and encourage the causes to which they were owed and which will produce them again. We still remember how much we suffered from that thing, but we're gonna, we're fixing to do it again. There must be a vast fund of stupidity in human nature, or else we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't think, all right, this time, I'm gonna vote harder. I, oh, I'm gonna vote so hard, I'm gonna just, oh. This time, I'm gonna, I'm, oh boy, I'm gonna vote, I'm gonna, I'm gonna study, the, I'm, gonna get, I'm gonna get the right guy. You're not gonna vote yourself out of tyranny and into liberty. That is not going to happen if you're talking about Washington, D.C. President's not going to save you. Congress is not going to save you. Supreme Court's not going to save you because thieves don't punish thieves. Thieves are not about to outlaw theft, guys. There must be a vast fund of stupidity in human nature or else we wouldn't caught in the same old snares while still remembering oh yeah that didn't get us out of trouble did it hmm I'm just saying man we could even in countries where the highest liberty allowed and the greatest light shines you find certain listen if you have ears to hear, y'all, come on now. Dial this in with me. Let's get this done. Pass this dadgum episode around. 
mainly get this in the hands of young people. I mean, older people are probably going to be like, mm, yeah, it's going on. You know, because, again, jealousy of my education. Oh, I'm not, I can't learn from you. I've been taught. Fine, you've been taught. You know what I'm saying? But kids, man, for some reason, and they're, I don't know, y'all slag off this Gen Z, I'm going to tell you, whatever they call, whatever these baby, what do they call them, Generation Alpha now, or I don't know what they're calling them. But these kids are going to grow up and be like, yeah, that makes total sense. Because they're being sent here prepared, let me tell you that for a fact. Even in countries where the highest liberty is allowed and the greatest light shines, you generally find certain men and bodies of men set apart to mislead the multitude who are ever abusing words and fond of the worst things recommended by good names. And they always abhor the best things and the most virtuous actions. Think about that. There are, even in countries where liberty is the highest and the greatest light shines, there seem to be some group of people intent on misleading the multitude. And they're always fond, it seems, of the most degenerate things. Why is that? Why do you constantly see these politicians getting in these scandals and they never really get punished? One of the great, I'm back in the letter, one of the great arts, therefore, of cheating men is to study the application and misapplication of words. A few loud words will rule the majority. And then he writes, I almost said the whole world. A few loud words will rule the majority. If you want to learn how to get over, if you want to prepare to be a politician, don't study political science in college. Learn how to lie. Learn how to twist words. Learn who are the most credulous people in the society and have them elect you by saying what they want you to hear. The great art of cheating men is to study the application and misapplication of sounds. A few loud words will rule the majority. Because who's going to hold you to your promises? You couldn't even tell me. Campaign promises after the pomp of the, of the what do you call it, the inauguration. There's just so much, I mean, let's see, uh, which one did I want to do now? Um, how about, I'm going to do this one, letter number 134, just because it was on my list and I really like it, and I'll go back and do the other one in a minute. It is surprising what minute and contemptible causes create discontent, disorder, violence and revolution among men. Now listen, remember, we're not the revolutionaries, not the way you think. We're 
we're going to fight to restore our liberty, right? We're not fighting to change the way things are done. We're fighting to put them back the way they were. That's restoring. Not we've, We're not revolutionaries. We're not the rebels. But it's surprising, he says, what minute and contemptible causes create discontent, disorders, violence, and revolutions. What a small spring can actuate a mighty, many-headed multitude. Think about it. One little guy. How is he able to convince a multitude to follow along with him? What mighty numbers one man is capable of drawing into his disgusts and designs? It is the weakness of the many when they... Listen, guys. Oh, let me get a drink first from... Ah, General Washington, give me strength. Mm. It is the weakness of the many when they have taken fancy to a man or to the name of a man that they take fancy even to his failings and adopt his interests right or wrong and resent every mark of disfavor shown to him however just that mark of disfavor may be. This isn't political. I want you to fill in the blanks, my friends. It is the weakness of the many when they have taken fancy to a man, or fancy to even the name of a man. They take a fancy to his failings. They adopt his interests, right or wrong, and resent every mark of disfavor shown him, however just or necessary it be. You don't want to be that guy. And if you are that guy, repent and stop being that guy, yeah? We were all that guy once. Guys, I was that guy once. But I... T'was me, tis not me. It's all about trajectory, guys. No, we're not going to restore our liberty in 24 hours. But in 24 hours, we'll be 24 hours closer than we were today right now and I'm going to tell you and you can believe it or not reading things like Trenchard and Gordon Cato's letters is going to help prepare you because it's going to steal you what is that that Lady Macbeth said um, screw your screw like tighten your courage to the sticking point this kind of stuff does that right and resentments and fondness are not less violent for being ill-grounded. If a man makes them drunk once or twice a year, the injury is a kindness which they never forget. And he is sure to have their hearts in their hands after having so generously robbed them of their time, their innocence, and their senses. You tell me, Apollo, I don't care whether you're Republican with a capital R or Democrat or Libertarian or Green Party or whatever. You can't tell me that the man right now that you thought of when it said that you, you're fan, that's your man, you can't tell me that your man doesn't feel that way. Your pilot, not your, like your husband or your boyfriend, your man, your politician. Tell me he doesn't feel this way. 
He knows he has your hearts and hands, even after he generously robs you of your time, your innocence, and your good sense. They, the people are grateful for the mischief done, done to them, and in return, they are ready to do any for him. He who restrains them from vice, or even punishes it, is a greater and real benefactor. So a real benefactor would be like, guys, yeah, you're, you're doing, no, this ain't the way we do things in America. I just put my hand on the Bible and swore to God to protect, to uh, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. So I can't sign this bill calling for a further infringement on the right of the people to keep and bear arms. That's unconstitutional. I can't sign this bill calling for us to send $40 billion for some people to supposedly fight a civil war halfway around. I can't do that. It's unconstitutional. And I don't want to be not only a liar, but a blasphemer. That would be a real and true benefactor. But that benefactor, he says, the people would never forgive, and he will lose their goodwill and purchase their hatred. You telling me that if, pretend well, because God, I'm going to tell you right now, this would never happen. And if you know me, you know how serious I am. I Pretend well, you know, I'm president. I get elected president. Guess what I'm not going to do, guys? I, I want you to go read Article 2. And I want you to notice two things about that. Number one, you don't have to say the word swear. You can say the word affirm. Because to the founding generation, the word swear meant you were invoking God. You were making a promise to God. It says, I solemnly swear or affirm. Affirm is just a legally binding promise. Not something you're bringing God into. And guess what? That I will faithfully execute office, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. And there's a period there. Guess what doesn't follow that? So help me God. Not in there. Go look. Article 2. The presidential oath of office. Not in there. You don't have to put your hand on the Bible. And I wouldn't. And you know why? I love God. I try to show my love for Him in the way that He told me to, by being obedient to the commandments. And I don't always do that, and I know that. So when it, if it were coming to be president, I wouldn't want to put my hand on the Bible and mock God, or swear, so help me God, because I know I'm liable to make mistakes, and I'd rather just be able to go to the people who are my equals and say, guys, I signed that bill, and that, I thought about it, it was wrong. Now, we're going to have to, can't do anything about it until we get another bill. States are going to have to be the ones interposing and not enforcing that. I'm sorry I messed up. I don't want to have to say to God, I brought your name into, you know? But guess what? What would happen if I didn't? What would everybody say? If I didn't put my hand in the Bible at the inauguration and I didn't say, so help me God at the end, because that's not in the Constitution, what would happen? He's not a Christian. He doesn't believe in God. We've elected a Satanist, right? They would never forgive me. I would lose their goodwill and purchase their hatred. 
because he who restrains them from vice or even punishes it or restrains himself from vice and punishes it will never be forgiven. This shows how much their senses are stronger than their misunderstanding. They are governed not by judgment, but by sensation. So that to instruct them, feed them, and employ them are not such sure ways to win them. So don't instruct them, don't feed them, don't employ them. Don't worry about that if you're a politician. The most sure way to win them is to mislead them, inflame them, and waste their time. In political parties, inflaming, meaning getting y'all riled up, because your man is being oppressed unjustly, Inflaming goes a thousand times farther than reasoning or teaching. A foolish speech supported with vehemence will conquer the best sense and the best causes in the world. The debauched and superstitious men have great hold on the people. Because those politicians are men who will sin with them. Now, man, tell me that ain't right, y'all. this one letter number 93 and I know we gotta hurry I know it's getting time has probably already been an hour so let me hurry this up letter number 93 I designed this letter as a dissertation upon heroes who were at first meaning early in our history a brave disinterest a brave they were brave disinterested men that had more courage and prowess than the others went about doing good to others and to all at their own expense and danger. They established and reformed communities, taught them laws, punished those who violated justice and laws, and they destroyed public robbers and monsters, and the greatest of all public robbers and monsters, tyrants. And they, these heroes, lived patterns of virtue and useful valor. They were a sort of middle being, superior to men, akin to the gods. But so wild is the nature of man, and so impudent the nature of ambition, that whereas our primitive heroes were the bulwarks of society, those that kept society afloat, and the preservers of men, those who have pretended to succeed them are disturbers of society and destroyers of men and are themselves the tyrants and monsters that our old heroes used to destroy. With the same modesty superstition which has destroyed religion, tyranny has destroyed government, and even tyranny calls itself government. Do you understand what he's saying? If that person in office, 
exceeds the boundaries of the power granted to that office, then he is not that. If you're a president and you do something that goes beyond the boundaries of power granted to you as president, then at that moment, you're not president, you're a tyrant and deserve to be treated as such. Montesquieu said, you become a thief and deserve to be punished as any other thief. As a man would punish any other thief who he caught breaking into his home. Because that's what happens. You're not a government, you're a tyrant and don't deserve that name. But words and the world are so abused with so much safety and applause is mischief committed when it has but a good name. You notice? Alexander the Great deified himself, Caesar was deified, and they were murderers. You have one guy hanged in England for attempting murder. But then you got Alexander the Great and Caesar who murdered millions and they're heroes. They're deified by people. That guy who was attempted murder and got hanged for attempted murder, he should have led a hundred thousand cutthroats and murdered a million and he might have been recorded a hero and his name been handed down to with public declamations made in school about how great he was. Don't kill one guy, kill a million. March at the head of an army and destroy a bunch of people and you'll be a hero. You attempt to kill one guy, electric chair. You gain control of a country and destroy a country, kill a bunch of people in that country with your flying robots shooting missiles, because somebody said something bad about us on the YouTubes. Hmm. I'm going to blow up their wedding. Hmm. You're a hero. Yeah, get them. Well, there's no proof they did anything to us. Yeah, who cares? Get them anyway. Child, they're talking about this other guy. Child, the highwayman robbed the male and was put to death. But instead of the male, if he had robbed a nation, he probably would have governed it. And instead of hanging in chains, he would have led a whole people into change and been dubbed an able statesman. Are your chains lighter, depending on the party in power? No, no, no. No, they are not. But there must be a vast fund, because if it's our guy, we are going to take him. And even if he's justly oppressed, we're going to be like, no, you shouldn't be on our guy. All right, I'm going to stop it now. Letter number 69, which is, I found in my book that there was a class 3B. I don't know which class that was. 3B, one of my founders' recipe classes at Heritage. This is our, uh, it says class motto. And, all right, you ready? Here we go. It lies upon you, gentlemen give motion to the machine. You are the first springs that give life to virtuous resolutions. Now therefore, my best friends, is the time to help yourselves. Act honestly and boldly now for liberty or forget the glorious 
and charming sound. May we now, my friends, begin to act boldly and honestly for liberty so that our children and our children's children will know that glorious and charming sound. Thank you guys.